welcome to Your Cron, short for Your Chronicles. I'm your host, Scott Pitney. Your Cron is a podcast where we chronicle ordinary people and their extraordinary stories. We refer to ordinary people on this show as people who are non-celebrities. Our goal is simple, entertain our audience and perhaps even inspire and educate. At the same time, our guests build a part of their legacy through this unique audio opportunity. So let's get right to our next extraordinary story. That is really good. <laughs> that is really good. Man, and that is a huge ice cube. Works good. Does it it, it good? works good. My fingers are getting cold. <laughs> <laughs> so, Adolf Postel, welcome to your cron. Thank you. So, we've known each other for better of five years or so now. Something like that. Yeah, and, and I'm trying to think. How do I introduce you? Because, I mean, you're you're an amazing guy. You really are. I, oh, thank you. Know, you. It's flattering. I, you. <laughs> no, we have we have a lot of good times together. But you really are, and and just even uh, in the few hours that we've been uh, hanging out tonight, and you know, you've got your uh, spice coming out, your crawfish spice, and you got some right. other ideas, and uh, we'll we'll talk about some of them later, I'm sure. But uh, you know, I'm really excited about this podcast because. No telling what direction this is going to go, because that's that's how it is hanging out with uh, you and your wife Veronica. You can never and, tell. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and we want to welcome our audience, uh, Veronica and Levon. Thanks for showing up. Woo-woo-woo. Please try to stay awake. <laughs> we'll try to make. And please uh, help to keep our our glasses full. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Thank so you for what, having what, me. Yeah. No. Thanks for being here. So what are we drinking? So this is a, a single barrel, single barrel four roses. Um, it's a single barrel Kentucky bourbon, and uh, it's just really good stuff. It's, so. it's really good. stuff. I hadn't opened it. Um, I bought it, and uh, it was sitting there in the bar, and I guess it was waiting for a special occasion tonight. Must be the night. So, cheers. Absolutely, cheers. Mm. So, um, in in the five years or so we've been hanging out. You've told you're a great storyteller. You've told a lot of stories. One that stuck in my mind in particular, of course, was uh, a very unfortunate event that you were involved with. Um, you were shot, mm-hmm. and uh, you, we talked quite a bit that night about uh, how that impacted your life and so forth. And, and that's what's all I've always been admired uh, with you in, in terms of your. Just your gusto for life, man. <laughs> that's probably an old term by nah. now. That you know, that's that's how I see you. you just have uh, a very positive attitude, very fun to hang out with. But um, you know, I, I don't know if you want to start there. But where is a good place to start one of your many extraordinary stories? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Scott, I thought I thought plenty about it, and um, I knew you were going to ask me where do you want to start. Yeah. Um, but my story starts very, very long ago. It starts as a, as a child, and I think everything that everything that an individual becomes starts when you're from when you're an adolescent to you're raising your upbringing, 
up until you know young adulthood and then to your adult so um so i don't mind starting there you know i mean i can try to make it a you know try to condense it a little bit but you know no need to no that's a podcast man it's long form so don't don't condense anything so yeah so the bottom so so you know where does adolf postel come from um you know i was born i'm a fifth generation texan my father was you know here from houston texas my grandfather was born in houston texas my great-grandfather was born in victoria texas and i believe that his parents were born you know if they weren't born in brownsville in the valley area they maybe they were in northern mexico but at any at any rate that was around the 1900 era you know pancho villa was doing his stuff and people were starting to trek up north you know they were trying to get away from all his shenanigans Mm. um so you know i've been you know fourth generation texan you know and or fifth actually Mm. so i was born in inner city houston you know grew up on you know navigation and lockwood right there in the second ward my mother was from second ward my father was from the magnolia area you know harrisburg and 75th where he still lives to this day with my grandfather adolf postel senior um so there was no, you know, no introduction to suburbs. No, I mean, it was strictly inner Houston, hardworking people. You know, uh, my grandfather was a railroad engineer for the Port Terminal Railroad. Um, my grandmother worked for, on my maternal side, my grandmother worked for St. Joseph Hospital for many, many years. Um, my mother divorced my dad when I was two years old. You know, that's kind of where the story starts, you know. So I, I was... Uh, Kind of unfortunately, fortunately, it was, I was brought up in a very dysfunctional household um, where my mother was always striving to give the best to us that she could, but it was a challenge for her, you know. Um, my first stepfather, um, you know, there was a lot of abuse going on, you know, a lot of stuff that, you know, a lot of stuff that a, you know, six, seven-year-old shouldn't have seen, you know. So mm-hmm. I had a lot of that um, going on, um, after which she eventually you know, moved on from him. And that's where I had my third, my, my, my second stepfather. Um, unbeknownst to me, there was still other things going on. He was interested in my mother, but you know, I had to realize she had me from another individual and also my brother. So he was good, you know, he was good to us. He provided for us. Um, but there was not a lot of emotional support. I guess so you're just kind of left floating in the wind mm. um, my mother thankfully was a big proponent of education so she always focused on education trying to get the best education that we could uh, from first to third grade I went to a parochial school there in the inner city the Blessed Sacrament School my cousins went there um, and so with the help of my grandmother I was able to go there as well so that kind of started me on the educational path and uh, you know, once we got with the the stuff, he had, he was a he was a he was a Houston police officer. He lived in his in the suburbs at that time. Not really a great suburb then. It's even worse now. He was in the Greenspoint area, mm-hmm. and uh, so we eventually moved out there with him. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, so I went to those schools, and I was like, man, this is yeah, this is not like the Catholic school that I went to. You know, it was very very different. At any rate, I guess at time to go to middle school was when my mother was talking with some other people again she was a big proponent of education so she talked about the hisd magnet programs the vanguard schools 
And I really, even to this day, I wonder how, at that young of an age, how did I manage to think, I don't want to go to X school, I want to go to this school, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so I fought to, to get into the better schools. I wanted to go to the Vanguard program that was like a, it was like a Mecca, like you can't get in and there's waiting lists and this and that. And so I was like, no, I'll, I'll get in, you know? So I ended up going to Lanier Middle School. Lanier Middle School was one of the elite Vanguard programs in the HISD district at that time and, and still today. Um, so I went my three years of, of middle school there at Lanier while we lived in Greenspoint. And it's like, I tell my kids to this day, like, and my wife, you know, I rode the Metro bus there all the way from basically Greenspoint, Willowbrook Mall area, all the way into downtown. And then I caught the 82 West timer to get, you know, to school, you know, with my backpack, my football equipment, because I played football in middle school. And my, and I, and I think about it today, I was like, how did, how did I do it? My, my wife always told me my mother was trying to kill me, you know, when I was a kid, <laughs> you know? And, uh, but it, it was, it was, it was pretty odd thinking about it today. Like, I don't think that I would send my kids to school that way. I mean, we struggle now. We have grandmas helping us, grandpas helping us, everybody to get everybody to all their practices. And me, I was relegated to the Metro and I knew how to ride that Metro. I rode it all over the city. Um, so that was pretty interesting. And I, and I think back to, it's very easy to say, oh yeah, when I was in sixth, seventh and eighth grade, I rode the Metro. If you convert that from sixth, seventh, and eighth grade to 11, 12, and 13 years old, that's a big difference, right? Like I was 11 years old riding the, riding the city bus. That wouldn't happen today. It, and, no. <laughs> it just couldn't. And I, I just want to go back to, uh, I remember Greens Point also, mm -hmm. a.k.a. Guns Point. Guns Point. Yeah, so it's, yeah. Yeah, so at any rate... Um, there was a lot of there was a lot of there was a lot of issues with me riding the metro bus from that area. It was about a year and a half's worth of of I, I believe it was six and half of the seventh grade. Um, we were trying to move back into the city. Uh, so once we did, but even well, once we moved back into the city, it was even easier to ride the metro bus because it was a lot closer, you know. So it was no <laughs> it was a no brainer at that point. Yeah. And uh, you know, from there, I ended up going to an HISD magnet high school, which was the high school for law enforcement and criminal justice, where, you know, I met the love of my life there, you know, I met her there. I was a, I was a very, very young freshman. Uh, I think I had just turned 14 years old, maybe I just turned 14. And, you know, met her in the auditorium the first day and it was just like, wow, you know, this is, this is you know, this is awesome. Um, but I went there, I didn't end up graduating from that school. I ended up leaving and going to where all my Lanier buddies went, which was Lamar High School. So I graduated from Lamar High School. Um, you know, and from there I went to the college that my mom went to, my uncle went to, my aunt graduated. So I went to U of H, it was the easy thing to do. It was like, get into school, get some, you know, start getting some semesters knocked out. So when you went to Lamar, you and Veronica obviously stayed in touch she she was what, uh, what, what happened after that she was uh it was it was what all good girls do i offered him a twinkie, <laughs> a twinkie. <laughs> we were on the school bus one day friends. that's that we stayed friends after that she uh, offered me a twinkie on the school bus and uh and that was kind of like the lock right there i was like i had already seen her but she was like hey you know i guess she saw the little fat kid and she's like hey you want a twinkie <laughs> i was like hell yeah i'll take the twinkie you know 
Um, but y'all stayed in touch. Even but we stayed in touch after we separated. After yeah. we separated from 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 the schools, and she she would call me every year on my birthday, every year to wish oh. me happy birthday. And I thought, man, this is strange. I would get this call, and I was like, who is this? She's <laughs> like, hey, I just want to call and wish you happy birthday. And I was like, really? <laughs> like you know, I've been you know chasing you all those years, and you know we were gone. We were older at that point. Mm. Um, so yeah, so then I graduated from Lamar, started going to U of H, and I guess we were still set. We we still hadn't seen each other at that point. Now she would always see a really good buddy of mine. Um, she would see him all the time. Mm. And she would always ask about me, and he would always come back and tell me, "Oh yeah, guess what I saw? I saw Veronica. You know, mm. she asked about you. Blah blah blah." So well, tell her to call me. You know, <laughs> did you give her my number? No, I didn't give her. I was like, "Come on, dude." <laughs> at any rate. I think that there were multiple, uh, you know, saying that, I think there were probably multiple people that never, that wished we never, they knew this was going to happen. So they were kind of like, no, no, no. I don't know. I don't know why you would not want somebody, two people that you knew were madly in love with each other to be together. But it seemed like there were people trying to pull you apart. You know, it was, mm. it was kind of the strangest thing to me. They wanted you also themselves, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe they wanted me, yeah, wanted me themselves. So, you know, I went off to, uh, she went off to, she went off and got married and, you know, I went off to U of H and, you know, I was there, but, you know, at U of H, that starts, that kind of starts the beginning of the story. I just got, that was kind of a little bit of background of how I got to the point where I got basically shot. Um, Great prelude. Yeah. So I was at U of H, I was really enthusiastic and I was like... I mean, I remember I was already in, when I walked across the stage uh, for my high school graduation, I was already enrolled in summer classes for U of H. I mean, I literally went like the next day or whatever, the next week I was, that's it, I was right in school. Um, so I probably went two and a half years to U of H. And, you know, you get exposed to a lot of things there, you know, and I, you know, my family growing up on the maternal side and the paternal side, there were several opportunities for me to stray the wrong way. Hmm. I just knew that I didn't want to go the wrong way. So I thought, you know, if I go to college, you know, that's, that's, that's gotta be the right way. You know, my mom went to college, but to be really honest with you, the things that as a young kid before the age of 15, I saw a lot of things that kids shouldn't see. I mean, there were drug dealers on both sides of my family, a lot of criminal activity going on, a lot of prison, you know, family members were going into prison for long periods of time. Um, were you were you honestly? Um, because it sounded like you're genuinely interested in school and learning, mm-hmm. or did you see it more as an escape from Mm-mm. the criminal stuff that you were exposed to? No, I, I, it's interesting that you asked that question because I really, I really was interested in learning. I've always been interested in learning. I always wanted to make sure that I learned things. And learning things was really cool to me. Yeah. Like, you learn something new, that's awesome. Like, mm-hmm. it was really, really a good deal for me. I did a lot of stuff. Even in, even in Greenspoint when I was over there, you know, we, we, uh, we had a lawnmower, and they made me cut grass and, you know, cut the yard. And I didn't even know what a yard was at that mm-hmm. time, you know. I mean, we didn't have a yard yeah. before. And so when we got there, I was like, wow, this was a yard. Like, wow, I need to cut this grass. Like, man, so I was, like, into it. 
Well, before you knew it, I was cutting all the yards in the neighborhood. You know, I was cutting everybody's yard, you know, and I was going over there. It's like, I don't know. Like, how much will you pay me to cut your yard? They were, well, how much is it? I was like, I don't know. How much will you pay me? Like, I don't, I didn't have a, you know, I didn't have a concept of, I was 12, you know, 11 and 12 years old. And, uh, so what'd you get for cutting the yard? So we were getting like 25 bucks, you know, 25, 30 bucks. Oh, I thought, bad. dude, I'm, man, I'm, I'm rich, you know, <laughs> yeah. this is great, you know? So we'd cut their yard and they'd say, well, how much for the back? I was like, I thought that was for the back. So I was like, hey, man, give me an extra 10 bucks. I'll cut the back too. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah, me and a buddy, me and a buddy, I remember old Sean Russell. I, I looked him up, man. I, I can't get up back in touch with him. Man, we cut all kind of yards. I had him going. He's like, man, you, he's all you want to do is cut yards. I'm like, well, no, it's not that all I want to do is cut yards. I want them to keep paying me to cut the yard. That's the part I wanted, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And it was interesting, though, now that I'm saying that, because, I mean, he, his thought was, all you want to do is work. And I was like, no, all I want to do is get paid. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to get paid for doing the work. Sure. So that was interesting now that you bring that up. Um, at any rate, I know it kind of squanders the, the story, the, the timeline. But, oh no, you're fine. But yeah, the, uh, I was always interested in learning. I always wanted to learn new things. I was always fascinated by new things. I mean, I, to this day, you know, I, I've never been interested in anything fiction ever mm. I've, I've i've only read fiction books because i was required to in school mm-hmm. everything else has to be non-fiction it's always a learning this or a manual a, a how-to a do-it-yourself a thing. i mean i'm just it just they intrigue me you know mm-hmm. so you know i think that you know going to school i knew that was the right thing to do and i definitely knew that it would take me away from squandering into any of the bad stuff you know mm-hmm. I and mean, i had several several unfortunately several people that were in prison and a lot of drug dealing a lot of criminal activity and i just thought you know that that that, that just can't be for me i saw what i wanted and you know when I, I go back now the the thing that everybody goes through when you're in that environment is uh is the drugs you know there's drugs everywhere right yeah. you, you know and, and the one thing at that I'm able to say is that, and it'll, and this is also a prelude into the, to sure. the bigger story is that I only thought to myself, my family is from here and they mm-hmm. know a lot of people around here mm-hmm. and I did not want to defame our character. Mm. I didn't never want my grandmother to be told by anybody that I was you know, messed up on anything. You know, I didn't want her, I didn't want anybody to tell my grandmother that, oh, we saw him and he was all high on this or high on that. Yeah. And I, I wasn't going to do that. So I, so I never did, I never did drugs. I never experimented. I never did it because I just thought, I don't want anybody to tell my grandmother that. I'm my mother, my grandmother, because hmm. I spent a lot of time with my grandmother, you know, my mother working and trying to get us up. But I, well, I would come home from school and my grandmother was there home and so I would I would stay with her. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because LaVon and I have this discussion all the time is how much of a person's upbringing is influenced by genetics versus family versus social. And what I'm hearing from you is family had a huge influence on you. Huge. I mean, even though you grew up around people that were in prison, prison right. and stuff, your choice was to go down the right path. Absolutely. Because of how your grandmother. Absolutely. And it was, and it was her. It was my grandma Mary that, I mean, I grew up with her in the church. I was, 
I was the kid that was running around outside the lobby of the church. We, we would go to church on Wednesdays and Saturdays. And it was just like, I would go there. And it was interesting because it was like, what, do you want to go? I was like, yeah, let's go. Because if I don't go, I'm staying home. Mm. So let's go. Mm. Let's go see it. So we would go, oh my gosh. And so she brought me up in the church and eventually it really caught. I mean, I have a very, very strong belief system, you know, and it was all because of her, you know, and it, and so... You know, I used that, and it was, and it influenced me in a in a in a myriad of ways, in a whole bunch of ways, even early on in life. Um, but it was all because of her, and and I tell you, and Veronica will tell you to this day, she's like, oh my God, you know, when his mother, when his grandmother passes away, it, it's gonna be, it's gonna wreak havoc on me, you know. And we know that, you know. So I'm trying to prep for it as best I can, but thank God she's with us today. She's a beautiful, beautiful lady. We love her to death. And uh, she's having a great retirement. My mother ended up retiring after she retired, just to take care, take care, take care of her. And so they have a good time together. Um, at any rate, we're so we're back at you know we're back at U of H now, and there's a lot of partying going on as there is in college. And you you're going out, you're experiencing new things. You know, I've always been a hard worker. I've always had a job. I've always worked. So I've always had cars, I've always had, you know, things. And so at U of H, I eventually, you know, I had an apartment and we were, you know, we were partying all the time. And uh, so I can remember very vividly, you know, we went to the Mardi Gras in, in Galveston one weekend and it was actually friends of friends of mine that that we met right so you go with a certain group of friends three or four friends and then we met some other people mm -hmm. so we hung out all weekend together those guys are fine whatever you know everything was cool i didn't really know them they were just friends of friends and when i met them it was weeks later i can't i, I don't recall exactly how many weeks but if you kind of put together mardi gras and the March 10th date, mm -hmm. it was right there. A few weeks, like three, four weeks, two, three, four yeah. weeks, something like that. So I was going out that night and I had a cousin of mine and he never, ever went out. Ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're 19, 18 years old at this time. Yeah. Like we should be going out all the time, but sure. it just it's just the way that life was going. Yeah. And that night he says, he says, man, I'll go with you cuz. And I was like, oh man, that's great. Let's go. Let's go. We're going to rock and roll. We'll have a good time. Blah, blah, blah. So we were out at a club till, till the close, two in the morning. Mm. And I remember getting back in my car, had a little, uh, had a little, I remember my little car, a little Volkswagen, little Volkswagen rabbit. It's kind of <laughs> cool. Mm -hmm. It was black with white interior, you know, so I was a cool, cool mm. guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember when we turned the radio on, they said, come to this other club. We have a, we have, you know, a taco truck out here. There's food. And the club closes at three. And I thought, well, it's two now. Man, that's perfect. Let's go over there and go get some tacos. Watch everybody come out of that club. It just, that's what 19-year-old kids do. You know, it, just, it sounded like a great idea. What, what year is this? What this was uh, 1995. Okay. 1995. I graduated in 1993, so this was two years after I graduated, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it's like, hey, it's no big deal, it's two, three miles down the road, we'll grab some tacos, you know, finish the night off, then we'll go back home. So we get there, and 
no sooner than we part, um, we go to the taco stand, we grab, we grab some food, and we start kind of just, we're just moseying around. And I see the group of guys that we had met three or four weeks before, the friends of our friends. Hmm. And I see them, and of course, because you were with them the couple of weeks before, you're just, hey, what's going on, blah, 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 you're high-fiving people, and, well, little did I know that they were in cahoots with some other guys over hmm. something. It, it, it ended up being over a female. Hmm. And so I kind of turned back to my cousin, and I was like, hey, dude, like, we really need to get out of here. Like, this is, you know, this is their deal. Let's leave. Yeah, so you said in cahoots. What what, so what, were, what did you see that concerned you at the time? So they were telling, one one of the guys, not the main guy that was in that group of five or six guys, one guy was telling me that there was, that there was kind of, they had some beef with another group of guys. And that other group of guys was further out in the parking lot. We were really, really close to the Okay, so the they did, this didn't have anything to do with you and your cousin. It no. was between them, but no, you be, knew someone was about to go between down. Between them so, and somebody yeah. else. So and you just I knew need to get the hell out of there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And so I tell my cousin, like, dude, let's get out of here. Mm. Let's get out of here and let's get out of here now. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of start moseying back to the car. But unfortunately, that other group of guys saw me with them. Mm. And, you know... I don't know. So, you know, people tell me like you. You know, my wife tells me all the time. Like when you walk in a room, everybody knows it's you. Well, apparently the other group knew it was me too, and I was like, I don't know why. I'm just here to eat a taco, yeah. and watch people come out of the club. But they sent somebody to come investigate me, so to speak. Mm. So as we were walking to the car, I felt a guy. And so I'll get. This is gonna get really into. I'm gonna really tell you the raw version of how I got shot. So I remember a guy coming back, coming behind me and pushing me. And I thought, Adolf, don't turn, don't turn around. Mm-hmm. Just keep walking your car. My car, you know, it's kind of hard to, you know, verbally tell you, but I can, as we speak, you know, we were in the middle, we were at this nightclub and there's a small street that runs down the, the side of that nightclub. Mm. We were parked right on the other side of that small street. It's kind of one of them little small streets that two cars have to kind of, you know, maneuver to get through. Very narrow. Very narrow. So we were right there. Mm. And I was like, I just need to get to my car and we're out. We're Mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. We skedaddle. We're Mm -hmm. out. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Well, this guy comes behind me and he's pushing me and I'm not, but I'm not turning around. I'm not paying attention to him. And I think like, Either he pushed me really hard, but I really think he kicked me in the back really hard. When he kicked me, I fell forward. All of my tacos were gone. Like it was a no. It was it was out there. That that uh drop that driveway of of that nightclub was caliche caliche shell. Mm. So I mean, you can even see still on my arm. I still have a bunch of cuts of caliche shell that was. Sure did. I mean, I just. Yeah. I ate it really, really hard. Yeah. Okay, so that was a part that's like, all right, this can't happen. Mm-hmm. I got to get up. I got to defend myself. Mm-hmm. So I got up. I turn around, and this guy, he's really big. He's taller than me, bigger than me. But I, I didn't have any time to think. 
So I threw one punch, and the highest I could get just so happened to be right at his jaw. Mm. And I hit his jaw, and he just dropped. He collapsed. Mm. And he was, like, coming to. And I, you know, so we started fighting. Obviously, we're, we're fighting there. I'm like, there's, there's no, I mean, there's no holes barred at this time. Right. So we're on the floor. We're, we're, we're going around, and we're fighting. And, and I see him getting really, really winded. Um, and there was a point where I finally picked him up to his knees. And I had his hair. And I thought, I could knee this guy in his face and really, really just put him out so I could mm-hmm. get to my car. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the time is going, the, t- the seconds are really, really snapping. But I thought to myself, Adolf, if you do that, you're going to go to jail because that's, that's at this point, it was just a, you a mutual, me, you could have killed him. Yeah. It was mutual combat. I, don't ask me why I thought those things at that time. I did. Yeah. And I thought, no, leave him be. Yeah. So I did the right thing, in my opinion, and I turned around and I was like, my car is right there. Well, unbeknownst to me, while that whole fight was ensuing on the ground, me and that guy, his buddy was telling him, and I remember because there was a Pasadena marshal that saw everything, and I met him at the, at the courthouse, and when he asked me the story, he says, no, dude, that's ex- your story is exactly what happened. So I must I remembered it like it was. So there's a cop watching this the whole time. There was a he was an off duty Pasadena marshal. He was not carrying a weapon, and he said the best thing that he could do was be the best witness that he could be. So he you know he apologized to me profusely because he couldn't really interject. He says, "Dude, there was a guy coming with a gun, so I couldn't without a weapon." His buddy was telling him. Let me go. This is verbatim. He said, "Let me go get my shit. Let me go get my shit." Mm. Like is his shit. Mm. His shit was a forty-five from his car. As I was walking across the narrow street, almost to my car, I heard somebody tell me, "Hey, motherfucker!" And I kind of turned around. And when I turned around, I saw a guy in the middle of that narrow street just unleash. Boom! 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 And it's just like, it was like a dream. It's like my stomach, you know, when you go down a roller coaster and you go and you go down that big first hill and your stomach goes out of you, my stomach went out and never came back. It was just, <gasps> and I knew that I got shot. I was like, well, I didn't know where. I didn't know, you know, people tell you, oh, you feel the heat, you feel this. I, I It was so fast and so quick. I didn't know anything other than I know I just got hit. Well, your, your adrenaline and everything must have still been on a high from the fight. From the fight. Yeah, it had to have been. Because I didn't even fall down. Fast forward a little bit. I got shot four times. To- I got shot three times. Once in the arm and three times in the back. And I didn't buy a 45 from about 17 feet away. And I didn't fall down. And I remember turning around and saying, hey, dude, are you finished? Like, what are you doing? Like, are you finished? You like, asked him if he was finished I asked him shooting if he finished shooting me. Like, are you finished? Like, what are you doing? How did he react to that? I remember this. I remember a face going white. 
and him running, he ran past towards me, past me. And I remember hearing the I remember hearing something drop, which I knew was the gun. I could I I could hear it. I mean, your your senses are just blaring loud, right? At that point, mm. you hear the people screaming. You hear the people scrambling. There's 200 people outside of this nightclub that was getting out, and this guy is shooting me. I heard him run. I heard the gun drop, and then I heard him jump the fence. You do, yeah, it's a cyclone fence. You could hear the ching, 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 the, the, the changling of the fence. Mm. So I'm just, I'm just like still in shock. Like, dude, you just got shot, bro. And, like, you're, and you're still standing I'm up. I'm still standing up because my car is right there. So I just continue to walk to my car, and I start pawing on my car. like, And I'm looking at my car. <laughs> My car had bullet holes ripped from the back all the way to the front. Those were the ones that missed me. I was that close to my car. So it was ripped from the back to the front, and the front tire was flat because, you know, one of the bullets had, had went into it. I remember opening the door and looking at it. Like I said, I had, white in, I had white interior with the black piping. You know, I had a nice little, you know, a little 19-year-old kid car. Mm. And I go, nah, you're going to get it all bloody. You know, you're bleeding. And then I thought, I thought that for a minute, but it was really, what if I drive three blocks from here and I, you know, and I can't make it, you know? I was thinking of going to the hospital, but what if I start driving and I can't make it? So I closed the door. And during, during the fight and the part where I had gotten up, I guess my cousin saw the guy coming with the gun. Hmm. So he ran behind the taco stand mm-hmm. to meet me in the same spot where the, where the car was. And he said when he was behind the taco stand, that's when he heard the gunshots ring out. And he just said, I, I just knew. I knew it was you. And he goes, I just, he, he was just freaking out. I mean, this guy was never goes out. I was going to say, he picked a hell of a he night. He picked to a decide. hell of a night to go out. Did you, you were you afraid of dying yeah. Any time at this moment, uh, did that cross your mind? That's coming. That's that's the okay. next. That's the next step. So so so, I think the, good question. But I think the adrenaline is pumping. You know, you're not going to get in your car because you don't want to get it messed up, and you think that you know I can't really make it. So I remember telling myself, well, I guess this is the part where you get on the floor. So I got down on the floor and laid down and I remember looking at my tire it was flat and I was thinking yeah where were you gonna go anyway you had a flat tire I'm telling myself this during this whole thing so then I turned my head the other way and I start and I see this light and this light is 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 permeated it's just really really bright and I'm like damn shit is that is that shit is that the light and I'm looking at it, and I'm squinching my eyes. I go, no, man, that ain't the light, dude. That's the mercury vapor lamp from the building right there. Because we were <laughs> right by the building. So I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. All right, well, it ain't the light. That's what a not, relief. That's, a night, that's not the light. We're good. <laughs> the next thought I had after the light incident was, man, is this where my story ends? Is this where Adolf's story ends right here tonight? This would be so final. 
And then I thought, who's gonna tell my grandma Mary? Mm. I go, nah. My story ain't ending here. So then I flipped back on my back. Remember, I was already looking at my tire. Then I flipped the other way. Then I flipped back on my back. And I remember, I don't remember where I got it from. So I started moving my toes. Then I moved my fingers. I said, all right, well, you're not paralyzed. So you're still good. I'm like, all right, man. And I was just telling just tell the ambulance to hurry. Tell the ambulance to hurry. And... Were, were, were people trying to help you? No. So two people helped me. So obviously my cousin came. And there was another guy who came. They kind of came at the same time. And I guess I was still down. But at the moment that I flipped over to my back, I guess, my cousin was there with me. And he held my head off of the concrete. The other guy was a medic in the Marines that was my high school quarterback. Hmm. And when he saw me, he just freaked out. And he was like, oh my God. Are you, oh man, what happened? What happened? I was like, man, I don't know, bro. I don't know. Just help me, you know, help me out. Get the ambulance here. So he took my belt off and he, cause I had, I did get shot. You can see one. So I had a bullet entrance here yeah. and the, and the exit was here. Yeah. And I don't know how that bullet went in here and came out here and did not hit my elbow, my bone, nothing. Yeah. And nothing. Yeah. So he tourniqueted, he tourniqueted my arm there, at least that. And he was more concerned. Felix, it was Felix Ortiz. Felix was more concerned with getting back to my mom to tell her that this had happened. Hmm. He knew where the house was at, so he was going to haul butt to Hmm. my house. Hmm. And uh, my cousin Sean was holding my head up and... He prayed. He just prayed over me. Hmm. And he said a really simple prayer. He just said, Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus over him right now. Send your angels to protect him. That was all he said. And I was like, all right, I'm good. I'm good. Just get the ambulance here. So where, where, what happened to the guy that you fought during this? Did he... Yeah, so that guy, um, he, I guess he, I guess he ran off at the same time because he, they, I guess they were all together and they were like, hey, this guy, you know, your buddy just shot somebody. So I guess they all burned off. He was, they were all, they were all bad characters. All of them. Yeah. They were all really, really bad dudes. Um, not really doing the right things. They all ended up in prison. Uh, one for one thing, the other one for the shooting. So you kind of stayed in touch with what? Came no, but I was. It's really easy to. It's really easy in in the neighborhood to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So you get the you get the word back from them. Um, yeah, yeah, very very unsavory character. No, none none of those guys were going to U of H. <laughs> none of them were with me at U of H. So you know, you talk about being at the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, and I'll talk about that at the end. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. you know. It just you're the wrong place at the wrong time, and it is your fault. It is your fault if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. It, it's it's very rare that it's not. So you take full responsibility yeah. for what happened. I mean, I you know, it was those things that when you play with fire, eventually you'll get burned. You know, 
and I was just always on that ragged edge. But you were just going for tacos. But I was just going for tacos, but after a long night of being out. But, you know, you're you're around a bunch of people all the time. It could have been that night, another night, any other night. You're always just out. You just weren't hanging around with the right folks, you know. And even as, as much as I always wanted to do good and wanted to be the right, do the right thing, you still were not in the right areas. So, you know, <clears throat> it was, it was bad. It was tough. It was a tough situation, you know, and, uh, you know, I went to the, I went to the hospital. It was pretty interesting when the ambulance got there, the ambulance response time was 28 and a half minutes. Hmm. Took them 28 minutes to get to me. Hmm. And I was like, dude, y'all are two blocks away. How do you know the exact time? They, uh, it was on, it was on the report. Hmm. It was on the it was on the uh, medical report, mm-hmm. and you said I want to go back to something you said when you said you rolled over on your back. You were shot in the back three times, correct? Yeah. Was that? Were you feeling any sharp pain or anything at all? What? I did. I felt. I felt my stomach. I felt my stomach go like I was saying, like you yeah, get on the, the roller coaster, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was that was that was kind of kind of it, you know, and then. I knew that I had been shot, but I had no clue where. I couldn't tell. I just remember holding my stomach. Um, so I had I had no clue where I got shot as far as on my body. But I remember when the ambulance got there, you know, I could hear them. They'd take my wallet out. And they'd say, oh, yeah, we have a Hispanic male, 19 years old. He has a gunshot wound to the, uh, to the left abdomen. And I don't know if they just didn't see the arm or what, but they were they were pretty nonchalant about it. They're like, hey, you know, what's your name? Do you know your name? Blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, of course. When I was like, you got my ID in your hand. And I was like, dude, can you get me to the hospital? Like, I've been laying on this ground for almost 30 minutes at this point. Let's get out of here. So they want to ask all these questions, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, let's go to the hospital. I need to get out of here. Let's go to the hospital. I'm telling these guys, get me up. Let's go. So I can remember hearing the dude on his radio, and he's like, you know, yeah, we've got a Hispanic male, 19 years old. He's got a gunshot wound to the left abdomen. We're transporting to the hospital, blah, blah. And so I was like, yeah, okay. So then, so then, so then they roll me over to put me on the gurney, right? They kind of roll you over mm-hmm. to... Mm-hmm. They're like, whoa, whoa, look what we got here. They're like, whoa, we got a Hispanic male. He's got multiple gunshot wounds to the right flank, the right arm, the left abdomen. Like, I was like, dude, how many times has this guy hit me? So that was when I first thought, like, wow, this guy shot me a bunch of times. It wasn't just one shot. You know, it was a bunch. And so... Did their sense of urgency change? Drastically. Drastically. Thankfully. And you could hear it. And I was telling them, dude, get me to the hospital. They're like, we're going right. Where do you want to go? And I told them, I said, take me to Bentop Trauma Center. I want to go to the Bentop Trauma Center right now. They said, that's where we're on our way. Let's go. Now, why did you choose that particular place? Do you At 19 years old, I remember, I remember, you know, I know we, we live in the, you know, we have the greatest medical center in the world. Um, and the trauma center, the Bentop Trauma Center has always, it's always been number one. Yeah. That's where, I mean... They get you right, and then from there you can do whatever else, you know. That's true, but as a 19-year-old kid, you yeah. already knew that. I knew that. Yeah. Hmm. I knew that, and I immediately told them, take me to Bentop Trauma Center, and they said, that's where we're going. So 
we go there and, uh, you know, I didn't even go into the shock room. So they have a shock trauma room. I didn't even go there. I went straight to, straight to surgery room, straight to the, to surgery prep. And I mean, I remember all of it. I was awake through the whole thing. They're like, Oh, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes. I was like, dude, I'm tired. I said, y'all left me there. I'm tired. My eyes are closed, but y'all let me know if y'all need anything. I mean, I remember this in the ambulance. Did you have any idea how much blood you had lost? You know, I didn't have any idea of how much blood, and I don't think I lost a lot of blood because that was never that was never discussed or that was never an issue. So I think that I didn't lose a lot of blood. Obviously, I bled, but there was no real drastic blood loss. I don't even, I don't even think because I eventually got the medical report. I don't even think that I had like transfusions or added any blood. Maybe maybe added a little bit of blood. I I'm not, I don't remember. Um, the hospital stay was crazy. So they tell me to sign these papers, and they're like, "We're gonna have to do this, this, and that." And I want you to know the the you know the you know the potential liabilities. But I'm like, dude. Just get me into surgery. So I'm like signing all these papers. Just sign, sign, sign. Like, let's let's get this fixed. I know y'all can fix me. So what I was signing was I was signing for the rights to do exploratory surgery, potential, you know, issues that could arise from this. Boy, they cut me up really good. They cut me up real good. So in order for them to get... So I had two bullets that went in and out. And... I had in the back and then one came out here and then I had two that stayed lodged in me. So in order for them to, in order for them to get those, they had to cut me from here all the way down here, all the way. So from my chest to my pelvic pelvis. What I'm looking at, it's about an 18 inch. Yeah. About a foot and a half. Yeah. It's cut. like 80, like 80 staples. Yeah. To get down basically from your, your sternum down to your pelvis. So that they could open you up and search for those bullets that were lodged in you. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, you don't know what you're signing, but of course, do what you need to do, right? Like, save we'll get, my life. Yeah, save my life is basically the, right. the mantra at that point. And uh, I remember waking up from, you know, waking up after surgery and I was like, man, and they were, oh, I tried to move. And it was like, well, of course, they just ripped your abdomen muscle. They sure. sliced them in half, you know. Yeah. So you couldn't move really, and they wanted you to move, and it was just like, man, how you know? Through all of that, Scott, four bullets, three in the back, one in the arm, come out, and hit no bones, no arteries, no vessels, and no major organs. I was out of the hospital in two days. Incredible unbelievable to me uh, i mean your your car got shot up burst my car was done the car was ripped to shreds it was literally ripped to shreds it looked like wolverine had just swiped the side of it were you able to drive it again no the back window was shut up i remember the uh so it literally used to survive but the car didn't yeah the car didn't yeah the car didn't make it i remember um <clears throat> now that you're mentioning that I had a record driver friend. He brought the car back to the house. I remember this now, now that you're telling me. He brought the car back to the house as, as a friend, as a courtesy. He's like, hey, bro, you know, 
your car was in this in this uh, storage lot. I told them, you know, they let me bring it to you. And I looked at the car, dude, and I just said, take it. Just take it. Just get it. I don't I don't even want to see it. It was bad, dude. Mm. The back window was shot out. All the left the driver's side was all ripped up, shreds. And I was like, I'll never want to see that car again. Like, just I mean, just let's just get past that. Mm. So it was pretty it was pretty crazy. Uh that night was that night was really, really wild. Um it's something that to say that you never forget it is an understatement because I see it and I remember it every day of my life because every time I change my shirt, every time I take a shower, every time I look in a mirror, I see those scars every day of my life, every day. It never goes away and it will never go away because that 18 inch shred that you saw, my God, it's there all the time. I have never been in a swimming pool after that without a shirt on because I get tired of telling that story to people. Oh, wow, what happened? Oh, man, what happened? They see your back with bullet holes. So the back, I mean, I can't. You know, people want to know, what is that? Yeah. They will ask you eventually. Yeah. And it, you can't get mad at them. Sure. If you're an individual, you want to know too. Right. But, you know, so I have, you know, all these water shirts and, you know, stuff to when I go swimming or when I'm on the boat. I'm a water guy. Yeah. Well, you're a and fishing guy. Yeah, I'm a fishing guy. Yeah, so. water all the time. I'm always on the water, but I'm yeah. never without a shirt because I don't feel like getting into those stories. I feel like sometimes it brings people down or it's just like, I don't want, you know, I don't want to have to tell a sad story. You know, I just, I want to be an upbeat guy. So I guess that kind of leads into somewhat into the newer part of before before we go there mm-hmm. was the guy ever caught that shot you oh yeah oh yeah yeah they they caught him there was um it, it didn't take long um he was from another neighborhood and the guys the the detectives all wanted to know like what neighborhood i was from and this and that um, is that another drink? Uh, yeah, sure. Thank they you. all wanted to know what neighborhood I was from, this and that, and that I had to. So they 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 want they were wanting to be sure that I was in a gang, mm-hmm. some kind of a street gang or something. And I was like, "What are you talking about?" Hmm. Like it was the oddest thing to me, right? Because that was the thing that I defied most. I was like, "No, that's no, that's not me." And I couldn't understand, and I'm like, "No, dude, I was." we're at this bar and these people attacked me and then they shot me like what do you mean well you must be from this and I'm like so I remember telling them I was like well you know what you got me I said tell the nurse to bring my uh, personal items in and I'll, I'll give you the whole story they were like they were ready they're ready they're like you know they're like Ugh, like piranhas so the detectives they were at the hospital. They were at the hospital asking they, me a bunch of questions. Right yeah. There, yeah. So she brings me the thing. It's like, yeah. I said, God, my, my blue jeans, they were all cut. My blue jeans were cut. So why they cut my blue jeans? I got shot up here. Pull my wallet out. I gave my U of H ID. I said, y'all got me. I'm a cougar. <laughs> and I gave my U of H ID. I said, I'm, I'm fixing to go into my junior year at U of H. And they kind of looked, and they were just kind of in shock. And I'm like, Dude, my mother's an 
HISD teacher and my stepfather is an HPD officer. Like, this is just a bad situation, right? And so the detective just was really dumbfounded. I remember him just being just, how did this happen? And he asked me over and over, who do you know from this? I'm like, dude, I don't know. And I go, I can't believe that he was from that neighborhood he was from because I have family that lives there and I hung out there all the time. It was just like the next neighborhood over. I said, so I'm kind of in shock that I didn't even know who he was or he couldn't have possibly known who I was. And eventually he came back and told me, he says, well, you're right. He says, you have a lot of friends in that neighborhood. He says, because eight people called the tips line to report that guy. Wow. Eight people. There was 200 people outside that saw him shoot me. So, of course, people called in. And I remember them bringing me um, the police lineup in a binder. And I was like, dude, I I can't tell you. I can't remember who it was. You know, it was dark, you know, and I really couldn't see. And they said, well, just do your best to just look at these pictures. We just have to kind of go through this process. I was like, all right. So I looked at the pictures. I looked at the pictures. I'm like, man, I really, I don't know, four, three or four pages of pictures. I go, man, I don't know. I remember turning back on pictures. I don't know, but that guy looks pretty familiar. They go, that's the guy that shot you. I was like, you got to be kidding me. They said, no, that's the guy that shot you. So out of 25 pictures, it was dark. I don't remember. They said, the brain is an amazing thing. Mm. It saw, maybe you don't remember, but your brain saw it. And they remembered that that was the person. And so I picked him out, of course, and it was just, it was it was crazy. So, yeah, they ended up catching the guy. And what, uh, what was his sentence? Do you know? So that kind of goes into another little bit of a story because while he was on bond for my deal, mm. which was attempted murder. Yeah. Man, this. <laughs> He got two charges for attempted capital murder while he was on bond at the same club that we were at. He was back there again. And he tried to he tried to run over two police officers in an alley back there. So they were going to nail him to the cross at that point, right? So he ended up getting 49 years for attempted capital murder and then he pled guilty to my charge, which was attempted murder so he pled guilty to 20 years for that and uh so he's still locked up he's still locked up to this day so he got a 49 year sentence now i asked some of those jurors i asked those jurors after the trial like what made he was uh he could have gotten 10 to 99 and they gave him 49 i said he's done this multiple times and they what made you give him half the sentence they they really wouldn't answer and I remember picking my shirt up. I said, you're going to give him 49 years. I said, but I have to live with this for the rest of my life. I'll see this every day. And I just told you, and I see it every day. How old was he? Same same age. Same age. 19 years old. Huh. So, so right now, he's a 42-year-old. He's 42 years old, still serving time in prison for my deal and another attempted capital murder. Do you keep up with him? Is you go on the public records and stuff like that and just make sure that he's not up for parole and those type of things? I do. Yeah. 
And because of the podcast I did check the other day, no, he's not. Andy's no, no way even close. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, you know, and I don't know. I don't know how I feel about him as an individual, or I, I don't, I, I don't, I've never gone that far into thought about like, what do I think about it? Would you ever forgive him? Whatever. It's like, it's just. I don't know. He he was a, he was, it was a part of my life that it was it was kind of dark, you know, it was kind of bad. It was the thing that I most tried to get away from and it still got me. Mm. And so I think that every day of my life after that and a lot of people tell me, you know, you ain't all so happy, you know, you're always so Bro, I've been on borrowed time since I was 19 years old and I'm 42 years old today. So, so you, you don't feel like, in some ways, you should be alive right now. No. No. No, no way. All of this is just borrowed time to me. Hmm. I mean, we, we did build a nice home. and we did the, Everything that I do, I just feel like it's just an extra. Because I was just happy to be alive. You know, there was a time when I was in the hospital that I had some uncles. Remember, I grew up with a lot of unsavory characters. Mm. And they made my mom and my dad get out of the room. I was like, they said, hey, this was before the detectives. Now, who is this? These are my uncles. Yeah, okay. And they're like, so we know where he's at. We know exactly who did it. We have somebody there now. You just have to give us the word. Mm. And I said, no. I said, no. They said, are you sure? They're like, we have somebody with him right now. And I said, no. I said, because if I do that, then the same thing, his buddy now is going to come over to my mom's house. They're going to find out where we're at. One of my siblings is going to die. My mom's going to die. Somebody... I said, no, I'm breathing, bro. Break the cycle. I don't need this cycle in my life. Just let it go. So I had the opportunity if I wanted to. Mm. And I just said, no. I don't mind. I mean, my heart doesn't even feel that. I don't even feel like that. I don't think that's a... Maybe that's how that guy felt, but that's not how I felt. I was just like, no, I'm just happy to be alive. Did you still, though deep inside want some sort of justice for what happened I already I had already I knew that they would catch him hmm. so you do your you know do your time now yeah I mean good decision yeah justice justice it's easy to say you know you don't want that guy dead or you want him but how could I want him dead I wasn't dead mm -hmm. right he made a mistake I mean now he has to pay, you know, he has to pay his dues for it. But, I mean, I'm not dead. So why should he be dead? I don't know. I just didn't, I just didn't feel like, I didn't want to jeopardize any anybody else. I felt like I was jeopardized enough. I took the bullet, literally. I literally took the bullet. Let's just leave it at that. And I'm alive. Mm. I did it. That's it. 
I didn't want nobody else to come back on my family, my siblings, my brothers, sisters, my mom, my grandmother to hurt somebody that I loved over that. So, so it I wasn't just, just about you. It no, was it was about, people about, about the people around me. Yeah, so so I didn't. So I chose not to. And, and I don't regret it, not one bit, ever. I've been blessed. I'm a, I'm a blessed individual, you know? Do you, when negative things happen to you, do you always go back? Is that is that what you go back to is I'm just lucky to be alive? A lot of times. A lot of times I do. A lot of times I think to myself, nothing's as bad as that. That was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. You can't really get, <laughs> you can't really get any closer to being not here than than I was. Yeah. I mean, you hear the stories of people that, you know, they code on the table or they have heart attacks, and I get it. I understand those are all things of nature, and I get it, but. Those are natural things, heart attacks, aneurysms, things of the. Uh, I was deliberately almost taken out. Mm. Somebody deliberately tried to end my life. That's pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty deep. Mm. And so, you know, it always, and and I and I think that even before then, I think it just exemplified or. or, or no, I don't know the right term, but it just made it more prevalent that you have to always do the best that you can be. Do the best that you can do. I mean, I did it. I didn't. I didn't want that guy to. You know, I didn't want anybody to take that guy out. Or I mean, I just. You know what? It happened, and I'm not him. I'm not. I don't think the same way as he does. If I did think the same way as he did, then. He, we would have, you know, we would have went back. We would have just been back and forth, right? Until one of us died. But I felt like I was close enough to death already to not try to test it anymore. <laughs> so I just. If after 49 years he gets out and you just happen to come face to face with him, is there anything that, have you thought through that, uh, what you would say to him or, or what he may say to you and how you would respond. It would, it, I guess it just depends on how the face-to-face happens. I mean, I don't think that the guy would ever remember me, but he probably will. I mean, he, you know, I, those kind of people, they, they do think, and I do think that he always will, he'll always know that I was one of the reasons that he spent that time in jail. Mm. So I do kind of feel that, but... I don't know. By the time that guy gets out, I'll be done. I'm already done on my day. I'll be selling crop. We'll be selling crawfish spice. You know what I mean? I just like. Right. I mean, it just. I don't know, man. I. So since you brought it up, just maybe. Hit pause on on your story for a sure. second. Crawfish spice. Uh, you want to promote that for a minute? Cause I. I. Well, you're gonna that, see that, a, you're yeah. gonna see a lot of it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I do not know how this happened. Um, I've been boiling crawfish for a long time, fourteen about fourteen fifteen years. People have told me over and over that my crawfish is really really great. I always think they're lying. <laughs> I really do. Mm. I'm like, you're just telling me that. 
But several, several people have told me, like, even to the point that I ruin crawfish for them. Because, like, anytime they go anywhere else, they're like, they always remember your crawfish. So I just got a wild, a wild hair a couple months ago. And I called a spice company. I told them, These, this is my exact recipe of how I make my crawfish. Can you make it into a spice, a dry spice? Because I'm tired of cutting up lemons and oranges and onions. and all. I mean, I, I just, is there an easier way? Mm. And that spice company worked with me. And mm. we developed a spice. And I swear to God, it really, really works. And so now we have it down to where it's basically down to a science now. Where you just put the spice in and everything's in there. Mm. Nobody, it killed us. It, it hurt us. We, we. We were like, no, we gotta put some butter. We gotta put this. We got and no, we we've done it to where it's still. So now the spice is, uh, and I and I developed that for myself, mm. just so that I wouldn't have to do it. And some way or somehow it just ran, and people started wanting the spice. People wanted to buy it. A couple of restaurants in Galveston are using it. People in Clear Lake are starting to say, hey, we're gonna switch to your spice. And I'm like, what? Like <laughs> I don't even know. So I'm kind of lost on the whole deal. But I think tomorrow's gonna be really fun. Uh, Scott, you'll be able to take part in it with us, and I'm really happy about wait. that. I can't it's wait. I can't wait. It's gonna be really crazy, and so, yeah. So I have a little spice coming out. So, so just for our listeners that may not be accustomed to crawfish, maybe uh, they haven't ever eaten crawfish and what it's all about. We have a crawfish season here in South Texas and Louisiana and, and in the South, and uh, there's a lot of crawfish boils and. Uh, it's more about uh, just, you know, something to do while you're drinking beer and socializing is to peel any crawfish. And Adolf has developed this, you know, like he's talking about this, this certain spice. There's a lot to go in that goes into uh, cooking crawfish. But, but the way he described it to me, he, he brought out this little box that's like six by six by six and it's seven pounds. And I kept questioning because he kept saying, all you do is pour this, the ingredients in this box into the pot of boiling water with the crawfish. And I said, no, that there's got to be more to it because I always see all this stuff going in. He said, no, just put this box in. So I am really looking forward to, to trying this. And, you know, and, and, and Scott, tomorrow, so the thing that we're doing, you know, is, is a competition. Yeah. And uh, I talked to Veronica and I said, honey. I said, I'm really gunning. I'm really gunning for this competition. Yeah. Should I put some butter in there? Should I? <laughs> she says, Adolf. She says, if you don't believe in a product, you can never sell it. Mm. She says, do your product the way that you developed it mm -hmm. and just use it mm -hmm. and see where you're at. She says, you're going to do fine. And so tomorrow we're not, man. We're not. We're just going to be just us with a box with a box of spice. We're going like, to all right, here goes nothing. I can't wait. It's going to be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. I can't wait. So if somebody wanted to buy this spice, is it available right now? Because I know you're just starting yeah, off. Yeah, we're really, really just starting out right now, and it is available. Um, How can they get it? You can contact uh, You can contact me. You can contact us. I, apparently, we, uh, my wife today just built a... Uh, a hotmail account for <laughs> just, so we're just good enough just just yeah if you want to go ahead and, and yeah. save what the hotmail account is or or uh I'm not even really sure what it is okay so well no we can call we can call you can we, contact we, scott contact yeah, scott we, con contact your cron your cron absolutely and we'll, we'll put it in the we'll put, a link. we'll put a link yeah we'll, we'll put okay a link we'll put that, that sounds like a great yeah idea. we'll put that in there so uh, that that's how we get all and uh 
Adolf uh, is also an excellent, excellent fishing guide. If you uh, are interested in catching speckled trout and redfish and flounder and whatever the else the Gulf of Mexico offers, Adolf is your guy. So how would they get in touch with you for uh Now fishing? that, you can always contact me at 832-212-4865, or you can also email me at adpostel, P-O-S-T-E-L, at hotmail.com. And uh, we'll get you guys set up. Uh, we do several, we do several corporate trips. We do multi-boat trips. Uh, we we put people on fish, and we always go out there and have a good time. That's what I promote: is going out fishing and having a great time, and uh, getting you guys out there safe and getting you back safe. Awesome. So anytime awesome. y'all want to come fishing, y'all just let me know, and uh, we'll we'll make that happen. Great, and we'll put that up on your cron as well too. The phone number and uh, Adolf's email. So. Uh, Anyway, uh, I digress. I just wanted to uh, jump in there and, and give that information. What else do you want to talk about on your story? We got a second half. Yeah. We got a second part. Do, do you want Do you want to do that now, or do you want to do it in, do a, it in a part two? Okay. No, we'll do it now. Right, let's, you can you divide it into how you need to. Yeah. No. No. Let's Let's rock and roll. Let me Let me check the batteries here. Batteries, batteries. are good. I need uh, to check my batteries. Hey everybody, Scott here to take another 60 seconds to talk about a sponsor I'm very excited to have to your cron, Suburban Buzz. Suburban Buzz takes the sting out of your marketing costs. Suburban Buzz can take care of your web development, social media, digital marketing, and general advertising, all available from Suburban Buzz. Visit Suburban Buzz at SuburbanBuzz.com. Now the owner, Holly Shervisnik, didn't ask me to read this part. I've used Holly's great service for many years. If you're a small business owner like me or just need to advertise, you need the reliable, quick service that you can count on from Holly and the Suburban Buzz team. So check them out at SuburbanBuzz.com. That is SuburbanBuzz.com.